get it. Wednesday, December 11th, 2019. Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a good week outside of podcast land. I, as obviously you could probably tell, I did not get to soundproof the office, but I did get every single box out, which kind of made it more echoey in the short term, but we're, we're getting there. I also did an interview with the Beyond the Uniform podcast. Uh, Navy veteran Justin Nasiri and his team were gracious enough to invite me onto their show and talk about what we're doing here on Born the Battle. Beyond the Uniform is also a podcast that focuses on inspiring and educating transitioning veterans with positive stories of that stressful time that we all have to go through. So if that is a reason that you listen to Born the Battle, that is another podcast in the same vein. You know, ever since the home loan closed on the party barn here, um, I was thinking what else, what other VA programs can I go through? Can I do? What other experience can I share with you? And, you know, it just came into my brain, you know, they, they've heard me about my home buying process. Why not them hear me re- try to reintegrate myself into VA medical? So, you know, I didn't have the best experience when I first got out of the Marine Corps. The primary care doctor was great, but my first experience with the physical therapy was a, a pretty negative one. So I, I walked out and I never came back and I just used my, my, my work health insurance. So. You know, I thought, why not give it another try? Let's let's go for a second chance here. And especially with a lot of the new uh, laws, the Mission Act coming through, you know, a lot of changes within the VA. I figured, why not? Let's give it another shot. So went and saw my primary care provider a couple weeks ago. And literally today, as of this recording, I've gotten four or five phone calls from the contractor that is going to be starting my community care, finding me the right care provider. Uh, for the t- right type of, it's called trigger point therapy for, for one of my injuries. Um, it's something that worked for me in the military. I know it works on my body. And that's what I explained to my first physical therapist. And that's what didn't go so well. But this time, you know, I, I've gotten four or five phone calls. They're finding me a trigger point specialist in my area. They said it's only a couple miles away. Uh, so that's where we're at. I got the first uh, first phone call. Uh, they took my availability and they're in the process of finding me a, an appointment. So I look forward, I even have a voicemail right now with them on there. So I don't, you know, that might be the appointment. So I look forward to sharing that with you. And as we move on with this podcast, uh, my journey into the community care program here at the VA. Um, okay. What else we got? We got a couple ratings, one review this week. This one comes from ABN Paul. A great podcast for all veterans. I really enjoy listening to Born the Battle podcast. Tanner does a great job and keeps the format simple and consistent. Thank you. I listen to a variety of different podcasts each week, and this podcast ranks among my favorite. While some of the well, thank you. Uh, while some of the podcasts in my weekly library get quickly marked as played after a few minutes, Born the Battle usually goes the distance from start to finish. Well, ABN Paul, thank you for. You know, listening to the entirety of the episodes, and I'm sure that you've caught a couple of the uh, the shows after the shows. I need, I really need a better name for that. Um, but ABN Paul, thank you again for for your continued listenership. 
We also had a, a, pr- a pretty good comment from the episode 174 blog on blogs.va.gov, otherwise known as Vantage Point. Uh, this one comes from Gary Brown. I just listened to the episode number 174 on Reese Across America. Like most of your podcasts, it was informative and insightful on a veteran or organization that has or continues to have a positive impact on veterans in their community. The comment by Mr. Hansen about a veteran's father wondering why his son's grave at Arlington was missing a wreath really hit home. Reese Across America is a great organization and Born the Battle continues to provide meaningful content worth listening to. Thanks and keep up the great work, GB Army. GB Army, I think you also left a... Uh, a review. So thank you for the comment and the review and your continued listenership. Uh, yeah, Mr. Hansen, that, that quote right there. Um, uh, if that, if you listen to that and that didn't hit home for you, um, I don't, you know, check your pulse. Uh, cause that was, a an amazing story. Uh, remember the more you rate review and subscribe to this podcast, the better chance other veterans out in podcast land, get a chance to listen in and hear not only these great stories like Mr. Hansen, but the benefits breakdown episodes and the information provided in the news releases. Speaking of news releases, I got a couple uh, or, you know, five. So here we go. First one says for immediate release, VA launches solid start to ensure veterans are contacted during initial transition. Interesting. Says the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs in collaboration with the Department of Defense and Homeland Security introduced VA Solid Start, which proactively contacts all all newly separated service members at least three times during their first year of transition from the military. The program will contact approximately 200,000 veterans each year and is part of Executive Order 13822, which was issued to improve mental health care and access to suicide prevention resources available to transitioning uniformed service members in the year following discharge, separation, or retirement. The goal is to establish a strong relationship between VA and transitioning service members, promoting awareness of VA benefits, services, and partner resources available to them. Veterans within the first year of separation from uniformed service experience suicide rates nearly two times higher than the overall veteran suicide rate. Interesting. Contacts through VA Solid Start via phone calls or emails will ensure transitioning service members are aware of the free VA mental health resources the department offers veterans for up to a year, regardless of discharge status or service history. For more information on this new initiative, you can go to www.benefits.va.gov forward slash benefits forward slash solid hyphen start dot asp and as always if you know someone who is having thoughts of suicide you can always contact the veterans crisis line to receive free confidential support and crisis intervention available 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year the number is 1-800-273-8255 that's 1-800-273-8255 and press one, or you can text 838-255, or you can chat online at veteranscrisisline.net forward slash chat. Okay. And the next one says for immediate release, VA launches national artificial intelligence Institute. 
What is that? Well, here I'm going to tell you. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs established the National Artificial Intelligence Institute for advancing the health and well-being of veterans as part of the commemoration of National Veterans and Military Families Month in November. The new NAII is incorporating, of course, we have an acronym, is incorporating input from veterans and its partners across federal agencies, industry, nonprofits, and academia to prioritize and realize artificial intelligence research and development that is meaningful to veterans and the public. Currently, Veterans Affairs uses artificial intelligence to reduce veterans' wait times, identify those at high risk for suicide, to help doctors interpret the results of cancer lab tests, and to choose effective therapies. Artificial intelligence uses computers to simulate human thinking, especially in applications involving large amounts of data. It is also being leveraged in the commercial technology sector and has seen early uses in healthcare. The NAII is a joint initiative between VA's Office of Research and Development and the Secretary's Center for Strategic Partnerships. For more information on VA's Artificial Intelligence Institute, you can go to www.research.va.gov forward slash NAII. And if you want to know my personal feelings on artificial intelligence, go ahead and go to Born the Battle number 140, Danny Chung, Marine veteran, chief of staff of Microsoft Military Affairs. Him and I talked about AI briefly, and we talked about our personal feelings on AI. It's pretty funny. All right, the next one says, for immediate release, VA web-based patient tool surpasses 5 million users. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs has accomplished a record landmark. You could say landmark or record, but you shouldn't use both. October 15th, when the agency registered more than 5 million users on My Healthy Vet, I think they mean surpassed 5 million users, which encourages veterans to take control of their health. The web-based portal provides online tools that enable veterans to proactively engage in their healthcare team and make informed decisions about their health and well-being. The tool allows veterans to refill prescriptions, view scheduled VA appointments, send secure messages to their healthcare teams, and download their own personal health record. Since the site's launch in 2003, veterans have used My Healthy Vet to refill more than 148 million prescriptions, send in excess of 86 million secure messages, view upcoming VA appointments more than 74 million times, and download more than 37 million health data reports. To register, of course, you can go to My Healthy Vet. That's myhealth.va.gov forward slash MHV hyphen portal hyphen web forward slash home. That reminds me, I have to log in and update my own, my healthy vet uh, when I get a chance. Thanks, news release. All right, next one says, for immediate release, VA continues record-setting claims processing pace for 2019. This is an update from a previous news release that we had. It says, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs disability claims backlog reached its lowest point ever, November 23rd, from its previous record low achieved in May 2018. Additionally, the percentage of the total inventory in backlog, in backlog is less than 18%, surpassing the previous record from October of 2016. These milestones follow VA's highest ever claims process output of 1.44 1.44 million claims completed at the end of fiscal year 2019, 
4% more than its prior best in 2015. VA's target is to process disability claims within 125 days. That's with the new appeals modernization, and you can check out that benefits breakdown in the, in the archives. Since October 1st, approximately 75% of those claims have been completed in that time frame. Veterans who apply for disability benefits currently receive a response in an average of tw- in an average of 107 days. This includes first-time claims from recently discharged veterans and older veterans who file claims for additional benefits. Some claims take longer due to complex evidence requirements and medical examination scheduling necessary to decide the claim. And for more information on VA's modernization efforts, you can go to www.va.gov forward slash modernization. All right, the next one's pretty interesting. It says, for immediate release, the Board of Veterans Appeals plans virtual hearings in 2020. Really? How? I'm going to tell you. Says the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs Board of Veterans Appeals and Office of Information and Technology are working towards a nationwide availability of virtual hearings for veterans next year, allowing access using their mobile phones or laptop via the VA Video Connect app. The virtual hearings are based on the V on the Veterans Health Administration's telehealth platform and lets veterans participate in the appeals hearings from the comfort of their own home. The testing of virtual hearings began in July of 2019. To date, the board has held 155 successful virtual hearings. Veterans who otherwise would have had to cancel their hearings were able to participate in virtual hearings and receive decisions. For more information on the Board of Veterans Appeals, you can check out their site at www.bva .va.gov. And as always, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes on episode 175 on blogs.va.gov. Just go to blogs.va.gov, go to the search bar, type in more in the battle, 175, boom, Bob's your uncle. You're going to be right there. All right. So November was Diabetes Awareness Month. However, we only have one episode a week and last month we didn't have a benefits breakdown. Hashtag never too late to learn, right? Um, and what the heck, you can learn about diabetes at any time. And boy, did I learn. I mean, I learned a lot about diabetes from this week's interview. Before this, I knew pretty much next to nothing. For instance, did you know that 25% of veterans who use VA healthcare have been diagnosed with diabetes? Me neither. Or maybe you did. And for that, good on you. Our guest is not a veteran, but she is the program manager for the Lewis Stokes Cleveland VA Medical Center's Diabetes Self-Management and Education Training Program. Pause, exhale. Man, that's a long title. She was also diagnosed with type 1 diabetes herself right out of high school. We sat down, virtually, and she broke it all down for me on the devices, tools, and education available to diabetic veterans, both in person and online. Her name is Miss Mary Julius. And let's listen in as she breaks down the diabetic self-management and education program inside the VA. Enjoy. Uh, Mary, thank you uh, for coming on Born the Battle to talk about diabetes. Um, because honestly, I personally don't even have a clue about the disease. I think a lot of people know someone like uh, like like me, for instance. I, I had a great uncle that went blind and lost limbs and and died from the disease, which to me sounded really scary, but I know people that are alive and live with it every day. And I just, what is diabetes? Is it like, it's, it's about sugar balance, right? It's a 
is it's, it's a metabolic disorder. Your okay. body, in response to to food, in response to glucose, should release insulin. And insulin allows your glucose to enter cells and function as fuel. In type 2 diabetes, it's a combination of insulin resistance and also a decrease in the amount of insulin that's, that's being made. In type 1, um, individuals with type 1 diabetes, for the most part, are unable to make their own insulin. Okay. And and can you go from one to two and back and forth? No. Or is it? No. no. Type okay. one is actually autoimmune in nature. So people have to have the genetic predisposition and also an environmental trigger. Um, within the VA, you know, one in four of our veterans has the diagnosis of diabetes of and yeah. When we look at a lot of the exposures, particularly our Vietnam era veterans, you know, what were they exposed to that that may have been a trigger? Um, and, and this is more for the type two, but with type one, it is an environmental trigger and the genetic predisposition. It's actually an autoimmune disease. In type two, we do believe that, you know, there have been some environmental factors that can contribute to this. So one, you're saying it can be uh, type one, it can be hereditary. And, and then there must be a genetic predisposition. Yes. Okay. And then, and then, but there's an environmental trigger. So like, yeah. like, can you give it to yourself by like eating too much sugar for a number of years or like how, what, what, what are, what are environmental triggers? So oh, they've really, really been looking at what the environmental triggers can be. And there have been a lot of theories over time as to what the environmental triggers are. Um, we just tend to think that there, there's actually some lab markers that we can look at, uh -huh. um, some autoimmune lab markers. And when we see those elevated together with um, other lab factors, we're able to say that, yes, indeed, this is new onset type one diabetes. Um, with, with, Interesting. with type two, again, it's, it's more the, um, we see that insulin resistance. So with the insulin resistance is as, as if somebody has put gum in a keyhole. And so now the key can no longer work. Um, but at the same time, there's a decrease in the amount of insulin that somebody is secreting over time. Got you. So like my mom telling me as a kid, you know, don't eat that much sugar, too much sugar, you can get diabetes. Is that a, is that a real thing? It's a myth. Okay. Just checking. It, it, it's just <laughs> just um, checking. But a lot of people, you know, when they overeat and they become you know, they, they can add those extra calories, they can add those extra pounds, and that does become a risk factor. for. It increases your risk. Yes. For type two. Got babies. you. Yes. So. Got you. I, I Got guess you. indirectly your mom's right. Yeah. <laughs> Got you. Um, so you, you're a project manager for, for diabetes within the VA. Um, you're not a veteran, but you work for the VA in Cleveland. Are you at one of our medical centers or? So I do work at the 
Lewis Stokes Cleveland VA Medical Center. Um, okay. Yes. And I actually oversee our diabetes self-management education program at the Cleveland VA and seven of our community-based outpatient programs. So my focus is that population management, but a population is made up of individuals. So it's it's managing the individuals within the population as well as the entire population. Got you. And you have you have veterans in your family, correct? Yes. My father was a veteran and one of my brothers is a veteran. Talk to me about your own diabetes diagnosis. diagnosis. Um, that was at a, at a young age, correct? Sure. Yes. I was, I was diagnosed as a freshman in high school and, um, it, 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 I was actually the first family member to have the diagnosis of type one diabetes as, as a, as a freshman um, in high school. That's, correct. that's gotta be, that's gotta correct. be pretty rare. Uh, is it, is that rare to be diagnosed in high school? So with type one diabetes, we see people being diagnosed as you know, young children, three to five years of age, and then we see another spike at at puberty at adolescence. Okay. So again, there's a lot of hormonal changes going on, and um, those are opportunistic times for the body's own immune system to um, make a mistake. Okay, and, and so it is an autoimmune disorder. Got you. Got you. Um, and then you can also, so type two is usually diagnosed later on in life. That's true. Got you. It's very Got true. you. Um, what intrigued me about your story was the article on blogs.va.gov that a colleague of ours pointed out. And I'll put that article in the show notes for this episode on Vantage, you know, on our, on this blog on, for Vantage Point. Um, but you had a very unique experience the first time you had a, is a hypoglycemic or hypoglycernic? Hypoglycemic, a low blood sugar. You, you, yes. had, a bl- you had a blackout. I did. In a very unique area. <laughs> That's true. That's true. When I was in high school, um, one of my great aunts and my grandparents invited me to join them on a trip to Italy. And my parents said, yes, Sure. And I had only had diabetes for about a year and, you know, I had packed everything I needed. And if you, you know, go back to the 1970s, blood glucose monitoring wasn't in place. We had very, very different insulins. And when you look at crossing, you know, different time zones, different foods, um, I really thought I had done everything correctly with my, you know, older insulin and I had taken the doses. Yeah. But again, I hadn't calculated in the time zones. So I think that I took, you know, my my evening dose of insulin twice because of, you know, the travel. And we were visiting Vatican Square when I passed out. I, I lost consciousness. I um, just passed out. Wow. And you know, the, the rest of the story is when I woke up, when I was finally conscious, I was in the Vatican sick bay. Um, and there sitting next to me was Pope Paul II. So it was- <laughs> That's amazing. My own private audience with the Pope and <laughs> one of my great aunts and you know my brother. 
that's a that's a way to get the Pope's attention, I guess. Um, what do you remember about your private audience with with the Pope? You know, I remember that he had some butterscotch candies in his in his big robe, and uh, when he was sitting next to me, he handed me a handful. I really was so I had such a bad headache after I woke up that I don't remember any of the words he said. Oh I know gosh. that he prayed, but um, yeah, it was it was um, it was it was a good, it was an experience. Definitely, it, it really was. Yeah, not not everybody gets a private audience uh, with the Pope with Pope John Paul. Um, it was Pope Paul. It was before John Paul. Oh my gosh! Seventies, yeah. See, I, yeah. I was uh, to me. I, I don't even. Remember. I mean, I was born during Pope John Paul. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Um, you also serve on the VA's National Diabetes Group. Why is diabetes awareness and education currently important for veterans in today's day and age? Oh my goodness. I I think that there's there are so many components to diabetes management and really being able and most of diabetes is self-managed and having the education and the tools required for self-management are, are of such importance. Um, we want to avoid extremes. We want patients to be able to avoid extremely high blood glucoses and extremely low blood glucoses. Yeah. The, the risk of low blood glucose, the hypoglycemia, that loss of consciousness is actually very, very serious. And, you know, it, if somebody is driving when that occurs, that, that can be very, very, very um, serious, life-threatening, deadly. Sure, sure. Um, and we've all heard stories where that's, that's occurred. Um, so yes, we want to avoid the extreme lows, but with the extreme highs, um, you know, those long-term complications, the complications of, of nerve damage and kidney damage and heart damage, uh, they're very real. And we, by improving control, we can help reduce the risk of the long-term complications. And that truly is is important for people with diabetes. And and you were saying that, uh, you know, a quarter of veterans are being diagnosed with diabetes. Um, that's, that's an, that's an amazing number. Is, is it type one, type two, a mixture? Um, so, so I think it's not a quarter of people with that are veterans have the diagnosis of diabetes, but rather 25% of veterans that receive care within the VA have the diagnosis of diabetes. Got you. Got you. So many veterans, you know, receive their care in the private sector, but those that receive their care within the VA, a quarter of them, or 25% of them have the diagnosis of diabetes. I mean, any way you slice it, that's an amazing number. One in 11 Americans actually has the diagnosis wow. of diabetes. Wow. Uh, say I just got um, diagnosed with type one diabetes. Yes, sir. Uh, and I'm with my VA doctor. What's the, what are the, some of the first steps? What first steps should I take in making sure I, I could start managing this correctly? Your first step really is to work very closely with your primary care provider 
and, and to use the monitoring tools that are available to work very closely with the registered dietitian and to explore the various technologies that are out there to help you best manage your diabetes. Got you. Should I start making appointments with certain specialists? I, I, I would make the appointment first with your primary care doc so that he or she can guide you to the appropriate specialist. Okay. Yes. Got you. Got you. Now, what can veterans with diabetes, um, I mean, in your blog, you talk about, this is my drill. What, what's your drill? What type of education is necessary with for those with diabetes? Yeah, we, we do have um, a diabetes self-management education and support program. And this is actually a program in which really individuals are are given eight very specific educational topics. And any veteran uh, in the VA system can can ask for this. Yes. Okay. So it's a you know there's a diabetes overview, there's diabetes and monitoring, diabetes and shared decision making, diabetes and medication. Diabetes and physical activity, diabetes and complications, and all of these are are important topics for veterans to at least have an understanding of. Uh-huh. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, From an access standpoint, we're actually um, in the process of building a virtual medical center, both the VA and the Department of Defense which will allow patients access to the materials 24-7, 365 days of the year so that they can do their own self-learning. Not only them or if they're stubborn stubborn about it, their family members can can get on there. That's that's cool. Great. For places where they don't have a structured program, you know, we have pharmacists and many of the pharmacists really are stellar at providing guidance in medication management, medication education, medication titration. Um, We are very, very fortunate to have a, you know, an amazing pharmacy team. Nursing. um, We have many nurses that are also duly credentialed as certified diabetes educators and a true asset to veterans with the diagnosis of diabetes. So, you know, it's a very nice um, system. Very good. In your blog, you talked about serving sizes, blood glucose before meals, carbohydrate to insulin ratios. Why do numbers matter? And are they different for each person? I'm sure a person's weight probably affects that number. I'm guessing. You're absolutely correct. Um, One of the things we really focus on is health literacy. And within health literacy, we look at, you know, cultural components of health literacy. We look at, you know, a person's ability to speak, a person's ability to uh, listen to information. We look at a person's ability to read and write. Um, With diabetes, we also look at numeracy. And numeracy is truly, um, you know, just just very important. Um, If if there's an error in numbers, somebody can really end up in trouble. And and again, I go back to how I met the Pope. 
you know, just the timing of medication and the timing when you're crossing, when you're traveling or crossing time zones, being able to manage that correctly can, can really put somebody in, in jeopardy of a pretty significant acute event. Um, I am a registered dietitian, and the reason I became a dietitian, again, was because I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was in high school. Wow. And back when I was in high school, the tools that we had were very, very different than the tools that we have today. The insulins today are very different, um, but something like monitoring, you know, it used to be just testing your urine. And it wasn't until the 1990s that, you know, blood glucose monitors became widely available to the public. So, you know, right now, anybody that's diagnosed gets gets a blood glucose monitor. In, in the 1970s, from a nutrition standpoint, um, I think nutrition is something that has truly evolved. Back in the before insulin was discovered, um, Elliot Joslin was one of the doctors that treated individuals with diabetes, and he found that they had to have a very disciplined lifestyle, mm. disciplined exercise, disciplined um, diet, and that if they overate, they would end up with very, very high blood sugars. But he did indeed, you know, kind of instill that first focus on that disciplined lifestyle. Think about veterans and, and discipline and you hope that, hey, if some of that discipline's carried over from service, uh, this is something that you should be able to manage, you know? <laughs> so, but, but sometimes drop, some, sometimes veterans drop that discipline as soon as they get out. <laughs> it's actually a very nice population to work with because they do have that history of discipline. And sometimes they just need to know, you know, get that education on why this discipline is important. Yeah. Um, for me, once I learned, you know, again, monitoring was using, you know, was urine back in the 1970s. And many of our veterans were first diagnosed in the 70s or even 80s before, you know, we had the widespread blood glucose monitoring. So, so blood, blood, blood glucose monitors, excuse me. Um, is that something that if you're in the VA system and you have diabetes, you can go and pick one up? With the diagnosis of diabetes, you would be issued a blood glucose monitor. Wow. Yes. Wow. Eating healthy. You always hear that when someone's diagnosed with diabetes, um, you know, they always say, Hey, you gotta watch your, you gotta watch your, your diet. Um, what should you be eating? What shouldn't you be eating? And, you know, veterans always got to figure out, is there a way to cheat the system? What you should be eating is actually a very complex question. Um, you, we have gotten um, somewhat away from the rigid discipline that had to occur back you know, 50, 60 years ago because of more advanced medications. First and foremost, you know, that weight, being within a target weight for somebody that's newly diagnosed with type 2 diabetes is very important. Gotcha. Exercise, also 
very important. Um, we are there's metabolic benefits of exercise, and there's cardiovascular benefits of meta, of exercise. For metabolic benefits, it even if you walk for five minutes, there's a metabolic benefit to that. Sure. And so we want people to just start with a goal of getting up to 10,000 steps per day. That's when you really reap the metabolic benefits of exercise. Nutritionally, once we're in target weight, we can actually see the impact of various foods on a person's blood glucose. You've heard about people that do more exercise and eat better. They can actually have, they actually can lower their insulin dosage. Is that true? That's very true. It's very true. Um, exercise is very, very metabolically beneficial. And for some people, they can actually put their diabetes into remission if they have type 2 diabetes. Wow. Wow. Yes, through exercise and weight management. Wow. When we talk about carbohydrate insulin ratios, we talk about that for our patients with both type 1 and insulin requiring type 2. Okay. And one of the simplest things that we start with is that one unit of insulin covers about 15 grams of carbohydrate. That is, um, so people have to understand which foods are carbohydrate and they have to be able to quantify the amount of carbohydrate in, you know, various serving sizes and also in mixed meals in order to appropriately dose their insulin, their mealtime insulin. Wow. So you got to be really careful. So that that's where it goes into the label reading and the... And, and all of that, you got to understand. Yeah, correct. Wow. Okay. Very good. In label reading, we want to be looking at total grams of carbohydrate. Got you. And, and the label can be confusing because some people will look at grams of sugar, but we want them focusing on total carbohydrate. Got you. So you're you're the project manager out, out in Cleveland. Is there project managers within the VA in other areas? So I'm actually the program manager for diabetes self-management education and support. I, I'm also one of the subject matter experts on our virtual medical center build that will give access to people from all, all veterans, all Department of Defense, active duty, and their family members so that they will have access to the education both with a facilitator in live and without but locally in Cleveland, um, I am the program manager. And yes, there are other locations throughout the United States that have people in my same position. Very good. Very good. Um, when are we looking to have that, that um, virtual diabetes clinic online? So actually, it's up right now. Um, and if you went to, if you simply Google VA hyphen VMC, you yeah. could, you could see it. And if you are a veteran in the upper right hand corner, there's a place where you can register. Um, we good. have started doing clinics in the virtual medical center. We started first with, um, 
the Navy. And so on Fridays, we actually have clinics in there. And I'm, I'm in the virtual medical center as an instructor with our people on, on Fridays. Okay. Our goal is to really build that workforce so that people can come in, um, and, and receive the education and training. Got you. Um, send me the link and I'll make sure it goes in our blog at blogs.va.gov and and any other links that you would think would be be beneficial to our, to our audience. Um, Mary, is there anything that I left out that you think is important to share? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You cut and splice this up and, you know, make it a minute and a half. Oh no, this is good. No, this is good education. This I've learned a lot. Um, is there like a parting shot to the audience or is there, is there something that um, maybe I missed? Uh, in, in, you know, go ahead. Maybe I, can, I, I think the biggest thing is that I, I think one of my reasons for being so excited about our virtual medical center is that right now there are only 69 sites in the VA that have diabetes self-management education programs, only 69. Yet we have over 2000, you know, when you count in all the CBOX and we can't possibly, you know, many veterans want access to programs, but yet they're not accessible. So kind of that whole access thing yeah. And I think giving patients the ability to access and learn on their own um, is is going to be important because that's that's going. I believe that's going to be our future is being able to get like our super certified diabetes educators, our super pharmacists, our super nurses, our super RDS in and teaching those classes that you know patients can walk into. The VA does a very good job on the medical side. I don't know of anybody that has any complaints. My primary care doctor is probably the best doctor I've ever had in my life. He was one of my friends, good patient of mine. He only comes once a week. But I do. I enjoy him. She really comes good. in special. Yes, early I in the do. morning. Early in the Just morning. For me. That's exactly why I choose VA. Choose VA today. Visit VA.gov. I want to thank Mary for her breakdown and for sharing her story of diabetes and that great little tidbit of her private audi- of her private audience with the Pope. Crazy. For more information about what diabetic tools, information, and education are at your local VA medical facility, ask your primary care doctor. In addition, there are some resources at nutrition.va.gov forward slash diabetes. Dot ASP. And let me know in the reviews and comments if the information in this episode was personally helpful to you. This week's Born the Battle event of the week is Marine Corps veteran Eden Pearl. Eden was born in Fort Bragg, California. Yes, there is a Fort Bragg in California, but was raised in Rochester, New York. After graduating high school in 1994, he enlisted in the Marine Corps. After completing basic training, Pearl attended Fort Reconnaissance Training and subsequently became a Reconnaissance Marine. He served with Reconnaissance Company Headquarters Battalion, 2nd Marine Division. Pearl attended a number of schools, 
including the Amphibious Reconnaissance School, Scout Sniper School, and the Rigid Hull Inflatable Boat Coxswains course. Pearl completed several deployments to Iraq with the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit. In 2006, he served as the lead assault and entry instructor with the 2nd Special Operations Training Group. Pearl assisted in the development of the individual training course at the Marine Special Operations School. In 2008, Pearl was assigned as the team chief for Team 8211, Fox Company, 2nd Marine Raider Battalion. In 2009, Pearl deployed to Afghanistan for Operation Enduring Freedom. While conducting a routine patrol in the Herat province, the enemy ambushed his team. They detonated an IED directly under Pearl's vehicle. Severely wounded, he retired from the Marine Corps as a Master Sergeant in 2014. However, on December 20th, 2015, Pearl passed away due to his injuries. Pearl's medals include a Purple Heart, a Navy and Marine Corps Accommodation Medal, two with Combat V, and a Combat Action Ribbon. He is survived by his wife, Alicia, a Navy corpsman, and their daughter, Avery. We honor his service. That's it for this week's episode. Even though December 5th was the International Volunteer Day, this holiday season, I want to encourage you to think about continuing to volunteer over the holidays. Each year, thousands of veterans spend the holidays at VA inpatient facilities, away from their families and friends. Sometimes all it takes is a visit to lift their spirits this holiday season. To learn more about VA's many volunteer opportunities, visit VA's Voluntary Service website at volunteer.va.gov. And as always, for more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website at blogs.va.gov and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always catch us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care.